The Invictus Mind, episode 27. Hello, this is Mike Corbell. Each and every person is a sovereign individual, born with a spark of divinity, with unique and unlimited potential. But every one of us will face unique challenges, obstacles, or roadblocks. There are systems in this world that may be built against our own best interests. Governments use force to coerce and compel us. Sometimes we build systems in our very own head. In each episode, we will look at these systems, these roadblocks, the things that prevent us from reaching our true potential. We will discuss how to break free and regain our sovereignty, how we can become the master of our fate and the captain of our soul. Well, hello everyone. This is your host, Mike Corbell. I needed to give myself a break this week, so on this episode, I didn't interview anyone. But a couple of years ago, right when I was getting inspired to make my own podcast, I met a young man who told me he liked what I had to say. He asked me to be on his show, and I thought I'd take him up on the offer. When Tommy Simmons first met me, his show was called Stranger Encounters. Now you can find him on his new podcast, Year Zero. I also want to give a shout out to Tommy personally and Peter Quinones for their awesome interview on the Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast, number 427. Check these shows out. Anyway, here I am before I started a podcast in 2018. Welcome to Stranger Encounters, episode 16. I am Tommy Salmons. Today's guest is Michael Corbel, a prosperity coach. In this episode, we discuss growing up blue collar and moving into finance, communicating with people as a coach, identifying why people make decisions, how to define your why, accepting individual responsibility and the role of family, the power of technology and how it's changing business, the Federal Reserve, how money works in financial education, and the rule of 72. Michael was a f- good guest to have on, and I hope y'all enjoy listening to this as much as I enjoyed talking to him. I'm going to get, let's, let's go ahead and, and get rolling. Um, I definitely want to go, I'm going to give you a chance to uh, tell your story. So, um, I, I, I'd like, I really like to hear where you come from and what you do now, Michael. All right. Well, I, I live in the suburbs of Chicago, Illinois, and uh, I'm actually, I call myself a prosperity coach. Uh, what that really means is I teach people how to become free through uh, their own savings and going after whatever their dreams are. I, uh, I don't have an extraordinary background. I was pretty much just a middle-class uh, suburbanite. Uh, I went to high school just like uh, your regular white folks did in their suburbs, and uh, I ended up just getting into a blue-collar job. I uh, actually got into heating and air conditioning because I didn't know what else to do. started my career when I uh, uh, saw an ad in a paper, and it said, if you can turn a screwdriver, you can uh, work for us. So I figured, well, that's 
probably easy enough to turn a screwdriver, so I, I, yeah, I figured out how to do that. <laughs> Found myself uh, in a job, actually. Uh, originally, what we were doing is changing air filters, um, the ones that you see in, in air conditionings and furnaces, but uh, it was all for commercial jobs. Oh, okay. And so what, what I did is a, a friend of mine named Ray, he was a manager of the place, and I came in there, and I probably looked like a punk to him at the time because uh, – at that point in time, it was like 1998, 1999. I was just a couple years out of high school, and um, I actually had dyed black hair. I was kind of in the grunge phase, maybe goth, you might have labeled it as. So I was probably just uh, kind of a punky kid, but uh, I said, I can turn a screwdriver, so let's go to work. So uh, Ray and I, Ray hired me as the manager, and him and I actually drove around Chicagoland, and our job was to get on the rooftops of, uh, of buildings, like all your local grocery stores or uh, some of the other commercial buildings, and we literally just pulled out the dirty air filters from those machines and put new ones in. It was about mm -hmm. as simple as you can actually ask for a job, mm. and I uh, did that for about five years. And mm. uh, the funny thing is that uh, Ray was uh, – he came from a background kind of similar to mine, although he he was a high school dropout and just kind of found his way into the company. And then we met. We, we became friends. Actually, still lifelong friends. Here it is 20 years later. Hmm. Um, but we would go around and just uh, you know do whatever, just kind of goof around and change filters. And uh, I started looking at air conditioning equipment, and I was like, wow, this, uh, this is kind of cool stuff. I, I like to learn this kind of stuff. So – Real long story made short, I actually ended up uh, getting interested in the heating and air conditioning. Mm. And I, I eventually went to school to become an HVAC technician because uh, I figured they paid a lot more to actually work on the equipment than I was making just changing air filters. <laughs> yeah. So I took a student, I, I took a loan out, I became a heating and air conditioning technician, uh, and uh, you know I got the, the trade certificate, and I started working for a local shop. And now, instead of just going on the rooftops, I was also going into people's houses. So, you know, I, I grew up as blue-collar as you can get and just learned a trade. Uh, it wasn't until probably three years into it that I started joining a union, and I understood the world of politics when it comes to union trades and uh, uh, and a whole bunch of other things. And how did you um, get become a prosperity coach? And when you say prosperity coach, uh, is it is it, are you talking like similar to like a Dave Ramsey type of system that you that you help people with, or 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 how how did that all come about, and what exactly is it? Yeah, so that's, that's a good question. I mean, I, I don't want to drone on too long about what I did prior to this. Um, hey, I'm I'm featuring I'm featuring you here. You can talk as long as you want. The less people hear from me, the better off they're probably going. They're probably going to be happier, you know. <laughs> so um, after about five years uh, in heating and air conditioning and, and in the union, we actually uh, – one thing that scared me about the heating and air conditioning trade was I was probably at this point now 28, 29, and uh, in our trade school, we actually had to go to a, a place that was like an hour away from where I was actually working. And so I had to fight the Chicagoland traffic just to get to the school, but – here I was, 28, 29 years old, and I saw these people who are close to my age now in their 40s, and they looked like they, their backs were broken and their their bodies were all scuffed up, and they just looked miserable. And it scared me to death. I thought, I don't really want to have the next 20 years or more in a trade, and I end up looking like these guys who are all sad and pathetic. Mm. So um, actually, about the same time, a friend of mine, he actually uh, – I got to know him through my church, and uh, he knew that – I was uh, miserable with my job, 
and he knew something I didn't really want to fully admit because I had spent a good majority of my life putting together my career in blue-collar world and learning a trade. But uh, he knew I was very friendly, very open talking to people. He knew that uh, um, I didn't really have many fears as far as talking to strangers or, or just being a sociable, likable guy. He came up to me one day and he said, Mike, you're wasting your talent in heating and air conditioning. It was actually a bold move for him to say that. I thought it was uh, unique, though. So I was like, well, what do you mean I'm wasting my talent? So he gave me a simple challenge. He said, just come to my office and take a look at what I'm doing. And that was like a life-changing experience for me. So here I am, as blue-collar as you can get. You know, I carried a toolbox for a living. And, yeah, I might have wore a tie once in a while if I went to church or something, but I would not call myself a white-collar professional in any stretch of the imagination. <clears throat> but I went to this office, and I saw a bunch of people who seemed to be happy. They weren't miserable like I saw at the union school. They, they were happy. They were smiling. They looked good. You know, a lot of them were wearing suits and, and ties and just dressed professional. And uh, uh, I was really curious as to what they were doing. And what they were doing is just helping average people figure out how to make their lives better by understanding the money game. And that's really the beginning of my whole professional career. The company that I started working for has a motto of no family left behind. And, and their whole reason and purpose for existence is to, to teach middle American families how to uh, do better things with their money so they can go after what they really want in life. So when I started doing that, um, Frank said, listen, you know, you don't have any experience in financial services or anything like that. You know, I understand that you're probably not an expert in money, but you don't need to be. Really what it was was, hey, just make an introduction. You go out there and do what you got to do, and you can just introduce me to people. Mm-hmm. And it was that, it, that was it. So I, I would go back to my trade, and I'd talk to people I'm working with or people I encounter and just have friendly conversations. and. I found out that they were in debt or they had kids that they wanted to send to college or they just didn't know how to make ends meet. And I say, you got to talk to this guy I'm working with and uh, he'll help you out. What was great was if anything transpired from that, that uh, I would get paid half of whatever was written up. So, for example, it was in insurance. It was in uh, securities and investments. And I didn't have to actually do the work or be the consultant. I just I just introduced him to my friend, and he would call me in the middle of the day, and say, "Hey, Mike, you just made three hundred bucks. You just made five hundred dollars. You know, sometimes I make a thousand dollars." And I was like, "That's awesome!" So I started making more money doing that on a part-time basis, just referring people to my friend. It wasn't long before I said, "I got to get out of heating and air conditioning and, and learn how to do this more full-time." Right. And, and so how now that you're doing it full time and now that now that you're focusing on on being a prosperity coach, um, what exactly do you do you do with people? Um, you, you do you give them investment advice or do you teach them how to manage money better or uh, what exactly is it that you're doing? So it's a little bit of everything. I, I call myself a prosperity coach just because if I went around and told people I was a financial planner, they'd probably run away from me. <laughs> most, most people don't like financial planners or they have one that they already are working with or they feel that uh, they just are not in the, the, the position to actually sit down with somebody. And so, yeah, by the legal definition, you can call me a financial professional. I do hold an insurance license. I do hold an uh, um, a register, I'm a registered rep, which means I can work with mutual funds and, and variable products, things of that nature. Mm. But uh, I like the word prosperity coach because 
really my job is just to teach people how to go after what they want most in life. Uh, you know, so I'll sit down with you and we have a, a six step process. We teach people how to just put more cash in their pocket. You know, yep. I can teach somebody 14 different ways to actually put more cash in their pocket without actually having to work overtime. Oh, really? uh, we also tell people, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I can teach people how to get out of debt, how to pay off their debts. You mentioned Dave Ramsey before. A lot of people are familiar with the Dave Ramsey debt strategy. And, you mm-hmm. know, I'm not going to lie. We, we teach a similar, a similar principle and, uh, you know, show somebody how to pay off their debts logically and in about half the time they normally would. But then on the investment side, you know, just having people set up an emergency fund, having people uh, put money away for a rainy day so they're not pulling out their credit cards if, if they get into a car wreck or if the uh, appliance goes on the fridge or something like that. But also we're looking at insurances. We're looking at sitting down and have somebody protect their, their assets, have somebody protect the breadwinner so in case anything happens to him or her, the family doesn't have to uh, change their lifestyle, right? Yeah. And then, of course, includes college planning, your long-term uh, asset accumulation, so your retirement and uh, and just preserving your 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 wealth, your estate. And so, yeah, um, by law, I, I would say it is financial planning what I do. But we also have a unique system where I can bring somebody into my company and say, "Listen, you just keep doing what you're doing." Like I was brought in as a heating and air conditioning representative. Mm-hmm. And say, listen, what if I can show you how to make a couple extra thousand dollars a month? And not turn it into a career or anything. I don't want to make you something that you want to be, but would it help if you had an extra couple thousand dollars every single month? Would it help your budget? And so it's, um, I just love what I do because it really helps people uh, take control of their own lives through the monetary system. Yeah, it, well, and it's it's very apparent that you that you do love what you do. Um, I watch you, you post videos on Facebook every once in a while, and I'll I'll, I'll watch them. I, I I think I've noticed that you might have one going up uh, every week or something like that, and I'll watch them. And you're you're very optimistic, and uh, that was part of the reason I wanted to get you on here is because you know you're you're very optimistic, and you're like, hey man, let me help you let me help you reach your dreams and. Let me help you achieve your goals and this, that, and the other. And I love that. I mean, that's what this podcast is about is it's, it's helping. And I really wanted to give a, a place for uh, young people to come and listen and say, Hey, look, man, I can learn these experiences from these people that have done these things, you know, and, and taking like, like you did taking different paths to, to reach different levels of success and, 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 and create careers for themselves and, and retirement and this, that, and the other. Um, one of the things that that I find interesting, and I I, w- I talked to uh, I don't know if you know who Kylan Ginger is, but I talked to Kylan Ginger about it, and I would also talked to um, Stephen Worley about it, and I listened to um, Jason Stapleton, and he talks about it a lot. <clears throat> and it's it's you have to learn to to visualize not visualize look at money differently. Like people have the wrong idea of money. And I think that the that mm-hmm. the way that that people view money co- creates a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress because they look at money as um, as as a resource, you know, like oxygen or this, that, and the other. But but when you start viewing money as a commodity, that it takes a lot of that that pressure off of you, and you 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 learn to, um, as, as was stated in the Richest Man in Babylon, you learn to enslave your money instead of having your money enslave you. Um, is, is there a process that you go through working with people on, on how they view money 
and how they talk about money? Well, absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. Uh, there's an author by the name of T. Harv Ecker, and he talks about uh, what uh, people think about money. And uh, I can't remember the name of his book right offhand. But, uh, you know, people will sit there and, and they'll say that the uh, money is the root of all evil, right? Which is actually, if, you, if you're looking into scriptures, that's actually not even a correct uh uh, translation of the scriptures is the love of money, which is the root of all evil, right? So people uh, will sit there and, and, and think that money causes evil and, and, the, and the very wealthy people are somehow bad and somehow uh, it's, it's wrong to have money. And, you know, it, it's, it, is a, it is a resource in the fact that uh, here's another author, Zig Ziglar. You might have heard of him. Mm-hmm. He said that um, money is not the most important thing, but it's right up there with oxygen as I got to have it kind of thing. Right. <laughs> and so the way people think about money is really what I believe puts them in the position that they're at. You know, if you look at wealthy people and you think that somehow that they're bad, then of course you got no chance to ever be wealthy because it's already predisposed in your mind that, oh, well, I don't want to be that because, you know, that's bad. Mm. Uh, on the other hand, I think that a lack of money causes a lot of uh, um Crime and a lot of a lot of things that's going on because people do know and recognize that money is is important and, and and they have to survive, especially in today's world. You know, it should not be the most priority, the most important priority in your life. It shouldn't uh, be all you think about, but it's definitely a factor. And um, one of my mentors said that money just simply makes you more of what you already are. So if you're mm-hmm. a jerk and you have a lot of money, then you're just a jerk with a lot of money. If you're mm-hmm. not a jerk, well, then okay, then you can have money and it wouldn't affect it. Or if you're if you're kind and you're generous and you're and you're charitable, then having more money will just enhance and increase those things. Well, I want to dig into something you just said a second ago, and, it, and it's it just just a slight pushback, and I just want to see what you think about this. And this is just is completely anecdotal, so because I'm speaking from my own experiences, so so keep that. That's kind of like my little, you know. Uh, hashtag there just like keep that in mind that this is a completely anecdotal thing all right so i i, I had a rough life all right and a, absolutely a lot of the things that happen in my life especially after i was um uh through high school were were results of decisions i made so i, I didn't always make the best decision I, i'm completely aware of that and i'll be the first one to admit it right but um i had i had a i had a family very young and um i always struggled with money and then when i was in the military my first wife divorced me and i got married again and i had two kids with her all right so i was paying my child support to my first wife and then i was I was raising two other kids and uh and i had another wife that 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 was not she most of the time she didn't work okay so i i started driving a truck um, I guess I was 23 years old. I got out of the military. I started driving a truck um, after eight months of being out of work, looking for a job, working 14 hours a week at Randall's, a couple of hours here, painting this house for this person, doing this, just doing random stuff, just to try to keep my head above water, living a, living on a friend's couch and this, that, and the other. Okay. So whenever you say that, that um the lack of money is has has something to do with crime 
I kind of step back and say, well, I see where you're coming from. And maybe because my experiences are a little different than yours and you haven't experienced living on a hundred dollars a week or whatever, maybe you don't, don't see it in, in exactly the same way I do. But one thing I would change, uh, about that statement is it's, it's the lack of money and then the, the, um, lack of, uh, future vision, uh, combined. It's not one or the other. It's a, com- it's a combination of the two. If you can never, if you have no money today and you never see it ever getting better, that can lead you down to the path of crime. But if you're surrounded by the right people, you're, you're putting the right things in your mind, you're listening to the right things, you're reading the right things, and you keep that vision of one of these days, I'm going to get there, 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 that, that as long as you have something to work towards, that you're much less likely to get caught up in the crime that is associated with the poorer communities, um, in, in the United States. And I had a, I had a, I had a quite an influence when it came to this. Um, my mom got pregnant with me when she was 16 years old. Um, she dropped out of high school. She was already going to like a third tier high school as it was in Reeves, Louisiana. It's not known for its, you know, turning out of geniuses. Um, but she dropped out of high school, never got a GED, never got, um, a high school diploma, never went to college, right? But what she did do is she got a job in a mailroom for a, for an insurance, a workman's comp insurance company in Dallas. And she busted her butt constantly. My dad was working three jobs. He was working construction and retail. And my mom was working 50 hours a week, coming, coming and picking my brother and uh, I up from uh, daycare, bringing us home, putting food on our table. She'd go three, four days without eating at times because we didn't have the money or the resources for her to actually eat. But what ended up happening is because my mom kept seeing the, the opportunities to advance within her company. <clears throat> Here we are, what, 30, 30 some odd years later, my mom makes six figures a year and she's known in Texas as one of the top workman's comp, uh, claims adjusters in, in America. And, um, she does risk management for a company nowadays and, and, she's in charge of the entire risk management department. So when you, when you grow up with that kind of like figure in your life and I love my mom to death, me and her are like best friends because of our, she always says that we raised each other because we're so close together in age. She's only 16 years older than me. So when you, when you grow up with that kind of figure in your life and showing you that no matter what obstacle gets put in your way, you can still take that step forward. You always have that hope uh, that you're going to accomplish something. I think a lot of these people, uh, the the crime is caused because you've taken away their financial resources and you've taken away their hope. Does that make any sense to you? Absolutely. In fact, I, I didn't want to be put in a box by saying that lack of money causes all crime. Definitely not. Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's uh, it's hope. Hope is probably the uh, 
the, the most powerful uh, in the formula, if you would say that. Uh, definitely the associations that you have, the hope that you have, whether it's faith-based hope or, or just uh, uh, hope because you, you see opportunity in front of you. And, um, and there's certainly... You know, I'm not a criminal. I'm not a criminal psychologist, so I can't sit there and attribute everything, every reason why people go to crime as to, to what that is. I, I just because there are certainly wealthy people who commit crimes, so uh, it's uh, it's really greed and, and, and lack of civility above everything else. But uh, yeah. um, what what I think of what is what's interesting, and, and thank you for sharing your story because uh, in my line of work, I, I see people from all different backgrounds and. I'm actually still thinking about – you mentioned Jason Stapleton. Uh, one of the things that he would said in one of his interviews was that sometimes people in middle America who uh, really have average lives and, and really aren't really uh, poor and aren't really wealthy, they have the most difficult time uh, putting themselves uh, up in a higher plateau, if you would, because uh, people who are, come from – uh, very desperate backgrounds, people who have virtually nothing or have had horrible experiences in their life, a lot of times they uh, they, they see themselves as, I want to get out of this situation. So they push even a little harder to get to that better life where somebody in the middle America would just be like, you know, I, I'm, I'm just kind of safe here. I'm, uh, I, I, I'm not too warm, not too cold, and uh, it's, it's more of a comfort thing, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, is this... But it is it is basically the mindset, and that's and that's really what uh, what I'm all about with my videos and, and and the things I put on social media is the power of our mind determines the outcome of our life. Yeah, absolutely. And I would imagine that in, in your field, by being a prosperity coach, you have to do a certain amount, and maybe maybe you don't, maybe you have uh, this natural talent, but uh, I I would imagine that you have to do a certain amount of. Um, study on psychology and 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 how the mind works and how to communicate better with people and how how to um really I- expose people to to the uh to the possibilities that their life holds for them absolutely um you know, being uh being a coach means that you got to uh, lead people to make decisions that they wouldn't normally do and, uh, you know, I've seen people from all different backgrounds uh, who become ultra successful. Certainly there are way more successful people than, uh, than me in my life. And I'm constantly trying to study their behaviors. And, and they say that human nature uh, is in everything that you do. Human nature is either working for you or, or against you at all times. And, and so, yeah, I mean, not just in the financial industry, but just uh, in, in sales and, and I think in success in general, just understanding um, – how people behave, what drives them to make decisions. Uh, you know, if you're in sales for anything, whether you're selling uh, automobiles or you're selling, uh, you know, like life insurance or you're selling anything, people make decisions based on their emotions. And if you understand why they make these emotions and, and what their human nature is all about, then that'll put you in a better place. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that, that I've been studying lately and, uh, uh, this uh, this kind of ties in with the the whole psychology and and the coaching and everything is I've been studying um uh Simon Sinek and 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 this his, the speeches he's been giving um on on the golden circle um and on the infinite game versus the finite game and this that and the other are, are you are you familiar with uh, Simon Sinek Sure I've I've seen his TED talk start with why and then I also read one of his books called Leaders Eat Last. So he's uh, mm-hmm. definitely one of the people I study. 
Okay, well, I'm reading his book right now. I'm almost done with it. Uh, uh, I'm reading his book, Start With Why. And, yeah, I've seen his TED Talk on that as well. And um, he's he's coming out with a book uh, at the end of the year about the infinite game versus the finite game, uh, game theory in business as related to business, which I'm really interested in. So, uh, but he, he talks about the golden circle. <clears throat> so he's, he, he talks about, you know, uh, the, the internal circle is why it's your feelings. It's, it's your, it's your motivations, your values, your beliefs, um, all these things that are intangible about your business and about why you do what you do. Um, and then he talks about, then you discuss how you do what you do, and then you discuss what it is that you do. So we're kind of taking this backwards with 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 your story, but I would like to get into the why. Like why, number one, why do you find it important uh, to do what you do? Why is it that that people should really consider looking at what you do as as being beneficial to them? And you've touched on it a little bit. And, uh, and just like, why, why are you so motivated all the time? Well, that's a very good question. I appreciate that. Uh, it, we are, are always trying to define our whys, even amongst our peers in the office, because, uh, it really is what drives you every single morning to get up because, you know, sometimes you wake up and you're like, ah, I got to face the world today. And sometimes you wake up and like, yes, I want to face the world. I'm excited. And uh, it really has to do with what uh, what it is you're waking up to and why why it is that uh, uh, you're compelled to do what you're doing. So for me, there's it, it a bunch of reasons. Uh, number one, I I too, like yourself, have uh, have a, had a divorce in my life, and I have a an eight year old daughter that I love a lot, and she lives with her mom. And uh, you know, just because of financial constraints and other things, we, you know, our our marriage didn't work out. But I want to be able to provide for my daughter everything that she could ever want in this life. Because I don't imagine that her mom would be able to do the same thing. So that's the that's the first compelling reason for me. Um, and the other reason is, uh, like I mentioned, I uh, I come from a, a middle class family, but uh, I, I've been personally down in the dumps before. You know, I've been bankrupt, I've been broke, and I've had a car repossessed. Uh, and I know that uh, you know you can be happy. When you don't have a lot of money, you can be happy with a lot of money. But uh, I think I'd rather be happy with a lot of money. So I never want to be broke again. That's another thing that uh, um, compels me. But I think more on an altruistic basis, I I think that just knowing the empowerment that uh, people can have uh, in this country particularly uh, when they can better themselves. I mean people are out there living quiet lives of desperation. They're literally living paycheck to paycheck, up to their ears in debt have no money saved, and they don't know what to do. So they're looking at, uh, you know, not to bring politics too much into this, but they're looking at leaders in Washington or, you know, where I'm from in Illinois, they're looking at leaders in Springfield. And I firmly believe that none of those people will help any individual at all. And so if I can help someone better their lives and give them that sense of hope that they can empower themselves, then that really makes me feel good. I I really believe that uh, it starts – just uh, on a grassroots level, get one family to better themselves so they can feel more hopeful, more prosperous, and then they can either build a legacy or they can pass it on to the people that they love, their friends, their family. And uh, and that's how you really change this country is because we're going to give them empowerment to make the decisions they need to do to uh, to live the life they want. 
Yeah, I was I was raised in a home um, where we were taught you you don't you don't go to government and ask for for things. You just don't do it. That's that's not the way we live our lives. Um, but part of the responsibility that my family took on by living that that way was that we felt responsible for each other. So when it came to a point where if you needed a hand up um, to 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 keep you afloat, uh, there was always family there to help you any way they absolutely could. So when I started this podcast, it was um, I was thinking um, because because not only my my full time job driving a truck, I'm gone a lot. I don't have a lot of time with my kids and my kids are old, getting older. My oldest son is 20. Um, so I'm not, I'm looking at what is it that I can produce that will help that generation? Because I see that generation as everything's changing and the school system is set up for the old way of life. Um, it's set up for the industrial age and we've entered a completely different age. So I want to talk to people that can give these people uh, advice and 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 point them in the right direction and motivate them and inspire them to to say, hey, look, I don't I don't have to look at this old way of doing things as as the only way out. And so this is kind of my way of giving a hand up to as many people as will take the time to listen, you know. As long as they take the time to listen and, and I can keep getting really interesting guests like yourself on who are willing to share valuable information, then like this is this is the best I can do for anybody. And, um, you know, technology has made it really incredible that somebody like me can get their voice out there to where people all around the world can hear you and hear hear your story, hear what you have to say. Um, can disagree with you, can agree with you, can pull little nuggets out of any advice that you may have to give. And, and it doesn't matter where they're from, you know? And I think that's really remarkable that we have this opportunity today. And I talk to every, uh, guest about this, uh, with, with, with what you do, how, how have you seen technology change? your your ability to reach people, your ability to help people, and people's ability to take better control of their lives and their finances in today's society? Well, that's a good question. I, I was just uh, I actually gave a, a talk the other day in my office about how uh, these cell phones that we have in our in our lives, uh, really, I can run my whole business in the power of my hand. Uh, literally, uh, 10 years ago, they weren't that strong. They weren't that powerful. But uh, now you can you can do podcasting, you can do uh, video recording, you can do everything on the phone. Uh, just in my industry alone, uh, in, in the time I've been there, it's, it's been remarkable as, as far as uh, now we have the ability to actually give presentations. We can actually uh, build organizations across the country uh, so we don't have to necessarily be face-to-face anymore. But uh, I'm the kind of guy who, despite knowing that in the financial industry there's tons of paperwork, the uh, the, the technology behind making everything uh, online and just being able to push a button and, and knowing that 
you know, if, if you know what paperwork is uh, in certain companies, you know, sometimes when you make a mistake, you have to go back and talk to the client and say, oh, I forgot you to sign this part or, you know, I, I didn't mark this X right here in this little box. And it can be a big headache. <laughs> and so technology alone says, okay, there's a bunch of red X's on this on this computer screen and I have to make sure everything turns green before I know that the thing is done and I never have to uh, worry about chasing you down because I missed something. Uh, so that's a big change right there. Um I just think that, uh, you know, it certainly helped uh, influence uh, a lot of things in the world of business. Although I'm still cautious of uh, how money is transacted electronically. You know, I mean, I, I got to be honest. I don't know much about Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. It's definitely intriguing to me. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, just little ones and zeros, uh, you know, manipulating the financial world. That kind of, I'm literally apprehensive about that. But uh, technology certainly does make things uh easier well a little a little side note on that tune into the first podcast in november um paul mcneil i had i had interviewed him in um uh, in august and uh, we um, i'm finally getting to uh release that podcast and that's his expertise is is cryptocurrencies so he's a uh, awesome yeah yeah your brother your brother will be popping up here on the 28th so oh nice okay yeah so, so that was just a little side note for 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 you to to keep your eyes open. Okay. <laughs> but uh, uh, when whenever whenever it comes to okay, I know there's there are laws and and regulations that you're you're bound to that there are certain things we can't talk about and you're not allowed to to discuss uh, publicly um, for for different legal reasons. So with with what you can discuss as far as as much detail as you can get into how do you help somebody how, how do you walk somebody through their finances and how do you help them uh better prepare prepare themselves if if there were like let's say there were five things that every listener to this program needed to know what are those five things or 10 things or whatever? I'm not going to put a specific number on it, but if there, there were these, these are the things you, you must do in order to better your financial situation. Absolutely. You know, uh, another reason why I call myself a prosperity coach, because, um, you know, when it comes, I do a lot of recruiting and team building. And what I find is that when, when I tell people that, yeah, I work in financial services, Somehow they think that you need like a lot of degrees. You have to be practically a rocket science to understand how money works. And I tell them it's very simple. The first law of money is don't spend more than you make. <laughs> and so that right there alone can save a lot of people uh, because we live in a world of, uh, um, you know, people get tempted and get influenced to make purchases all the time. And you see these commercials about credit cards and. They talk about uh, how things are precious and uh, and uh, and costly, you know, don't cost anything. And going on vacation or getting that new car or you know buying that, that nice house or I have to get a boat because my next door neighbors did. And, and people are quickly influenced by uh, their surroundings, and so they just want to keep up with the Joneses, right? And so yeah, I think that don't spend more than you make um, is one of the first rules. The other rule is people don't really understand how. Uh, interest works. One of the things that I thought was awesome, uh, they, I don't know if you've ever heard, Tommy, of what they call the Rule of 72. Mm-mm. Now, so the Rule of 72, this is uh, one of the things that I teach quite frequently in my uh, 
presentations. It's the law of compound interest. And uh, Albert Einstein actually came up with this formula some time back, and, and he said that if you take the amount of interest that your money is either getting uh, when you're growing your money or it can work against you in debt, but if you take that interest rate and you divide it into 72, it literally will tell you how long it takes to uh, have that money double. So, for example, if you're saving money and we know that the, the bank doesn't pay much interest, you might get 1%, right. uh, if that, at a bank. Mm -hmm. right? So if you think about that, it, 1 goes into 72, 72 times, which mm -hmm. means that your money is doubling every 72 years just keeping it in the bank. Cool. <laughs> and, and if you think about the law of uh, inflation, inflation at best is 3%. Right, mm -hmm. and inflation means that things are getting more expensive every single year. Now, three goes into seventy-two, twenty-four times, which means that your debt or your money is losing value every twenty-four years. And so, if you keep your money in a bank, you're actually guaranteed to lose your money safely. No, oh, wow. Now, however, <laughs> if you were to if you were to get four percent interest on your on your debt, like you know, they used to have CDs that uh, paid four or five percent. Four goes into seventy-two. 18 times, so your money is doubling every 18, year, every 18 years. But if you were to get 8% or 10% uh, in, a, uh, in a good investment, now 8 goes into 72 nine times, so every nine years your money is doubling, right? Mm -hmm. And what we want to show people is how to get 10 or 12%. Imagine if you got 12% interest on your, on your money, you know, that goes into 72 six times. That means that your money is doubling every six years. And so some of the examples that we use is if you had $10,000 when you were 29 and you were getting 12%, that means that by the time that you were 65, you'd have $640,000 in that account. And that's not even putting any more money in there. That's just doubling every six years because of the interest rate you're getting. Right. On the reverse, if your credit card is 18% interest, that means that your debt is doubling every four years. So people are often backwards in uh, in where they're putting their money and, and where their debts are. Yeah, and well, and this 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 boils down to this goes back to the uh, I guess we tie that to like the Federal Reserve, and, and it's something we've been hearing in the news here recently with, with Trump talking about the 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 Fed. Um, pushing up interest rates and I was actually kind of excited to hear them finally actually increasing interest rates because I was like the savings in this country is is minimal it's 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 almost non-existent nowadays because people people are spending their money because they're they're completely aware that that putting it in a bank and saving it it's not doing them any good so we need we need higher interest right. rates when at some point Well, so I, I will say this with a caution. I'm not an economics professor. I do study uh, the Austrian School of Economics, and I love the book that uh, Ron Paul put out, End the Fed. And I actually read an, uh, a greater in-depth book regarding the Federal Reserve. It's called The Creature from Jekyll Island, yeah. which uh, just opened my eyes to the, the awful monster that the Federal Reserve really is. But, um, you know, I think that – Have you, you, know, um, have you read – conspiracy um, theory that – have you, I'm sorry. Have you have you read um, Choice by Bob Murphy? I have not read that yet. I, I heard Tom Woodshow talking about that. So. Yeah, it, it's kind of like um, it's kind of like a easier version uh, of human action, um, it's, or, or like a or like a prequel to human action. It, it's like if you you go through and uh, 
read read choice and um it, he puts he puts a lot of things in perspective uh to how um a laissez-faire system would work without you know uh government intervention and this and the other it's really good um and Hazlitt had that book that he released I don't, who knows how long ago called economics in one lesson um this isn't the first time this that book titles come up on this podcast but um that's a that's a really good one that's one that i read at least once a year mm-hmm. yeah so keeps keeps you fresh keeps you on your toes Absolutely. You, you know, and the biggest problem is in this country that uh, they don't really teach how money works in school. Uh, there's really, to my knowledge, there's only four states in the whole country that actually offer one semester of uh, financial education in high school. Mm-hmm. I remember I took an economics class in high school, and uh, they taught us how to balance the checkbook. And uh, they might have gone over quickly the difference between stocks and bonds. But I mean, in today's world, people hardly balance checkbooks anymore. Everything's on a, you know, on a computer, <laughs> and uh, most people don't know how money works. That's why they get into debt right away. They get out of uh, high school, and, and the first thing they do is they apply for college, and all of a sudden they're strapped with student loans. And you can have hundreds of thousands of dollars just in student loans uh, when you get out of college, and, and you find a job making forty or fifty grand a year. That's not going to cut it. Yeah. All right. Well, well, we kind of veered off here. Uh, we get talking about economics and stuff like that, and I, we start talking about all kinds of stuff. But um, okay, so we got we got two two rules so far. Don't don't spend more than you earn, and uh, and and learn how compound interest works. Uh, the the rule of seventy two. Um, uh, wh- where else would you go from there that people just need must knows. Well, I think it's just. Uh Really, in, in in the six steps, we provide what we call a roadmap with our company. And uh, the first two are obviously cash flow and figuring out how to manage your budget and, and, and doing that stuff. And then and finding your way to pay off debts as quick as possible. That's Those are two most important because I think that's the number one thing that's struggling people is I need to have uh, more money to be able to even save any money. Right. And so there are things that you can do in that regard because I think 90% of America, right, they have a problem with, with not making their money. So let's figure out how to put more cash in their pocket by budgeting their money and getting out of debt. And then, you know, just teaching somebody how to properly set up an emergency fund. Most people use their credit card for emergencies. And, and, and really, I use a mutual fund-based uh, strategy where you can actually – you're paying a small management fee for a manager who can – Make decisions for you, but you don't want to put that kind of money in something that's really risky. Is you know you can do a lot of uh, types of accounts and 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 just have that money liquid and available to you. Uh, I think a lot of times people don't understand some of the insurances that are out there. Uh, they're getting insurance from commercials with the, the lizard and, and the caveman and stuff like that, but uh, <laughs> they might think that. <laughs> they might think that they have some kind of insurance plan, but they don't really know what it is or what they do. I've actually sat down with a client, and and they think that yeah, they're set up, but they have life insurance. You know, if they were to pass away, they have a, you know a half million dollar policy. And I literally sat down with a client, and they show me their policy, and and it's an accident and dismemberment policy. So they only would pay out if that person died in a car accident or something like that. But right. if the person had a heart attack, that family would be devastated. Mm. And so just Understanding the difference between term uh, insurance and permanent insurance is a big factor in exactly how that whole thing works. Right, and that's not to demean the A the AD and D policies, the accidental death and dismemberment policies, are 
absolutely uh, crucial for some some people uh, that that do have high, higher risk jobs and things like like me um, being a truck driver. You know, I absolutely have to have that kind of policy. And um, actually, most trucking companies provide you with with a policy of AD and D. But beyond that, yeah, you definitely need. What if you die of a natural causes? You know. And, and you're not covered. Your family's not covered. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that I'm I'm definitely looking at reinvesting in here in the next couple of years. I, I really need to get on that life insurance. Uh, get me a get me a an, a good life insurance policy put in place. Um, I had let my other one. I had left my job and I just never re-upped uh, and got another one. So that's something sure. I definitely need to do. Now, one of the things that my wife and I are doing okay. Okay, a little little background there. This is my third marriage, so I'm not still married to the other one. Um, the she moved here from from South Africa, right? And uh, that's a obviously their economy has been destroyed um, over the last twenty some odd years, and um, they've actually dropped in status from first world status to third world status. Um, but so she didn't have a lot of money, you know, coming over here. And actually, like the, excuse me, one second. <clears throat> the uh, the amount of money she made over there, where it sounds like it was a lot of money, uh, from from their terms, um, whenever you adjust it to U.S. dollars, it was it was less. It was right around a thousand dollars a month is what she was living on. And so, mm-hmm. so she didn't have a lot of money when she came over here. Um, I obviously, like I told you a little bit about my story and, and it's not until here in the last few years that I've gotten into a situation to where I have a little bit of a cushion with the, with, with the, the amount of money I make and this, that, and the other. Um, so what we've done is, is cause we didn't, I didn't have a retirement plan and I didn't have all this stuff in, in, and, and I always just told myself, all right, well, well, because because of the situations and the decisions I'm having to make and that I feel like I have to make, whether I, obviously there were other choices, but I made these decisions in a specific way. Um, and I kind of bargained with myself. That's how I always put it. I, I bargained with, with my future. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do this for so long. And then when I hit a specific point in my life, when my kids start getting up in age and I'm starting to pay less in child support and this, that, and the other, then I'm going to turn around and I'm going to create my own business. So I took kind of like that idea of extreme ownership and said, I'm not going to set aside $10, $15 a month or whatever today because, and what I'm going to do is, is come the future. I'm going to just dedicate everything I have into creating um, some sort of, uh, of financial stability. So we've gotten to that point. So what we've decided to do, and I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm just curious as your, your input on this. So what we've been doing instead of investing in, in like the, uh, like stocks or, or mutual funds or IRAs or whatever, what we've, what we've started doing is we we're investing in education. So we're, we're going, we're, we're both enrolled in courses um, learning different, uh, styles of business. I read a lot. I, I buy like two books a month, you know, 
Uh, right now I'm reading a book by Bob Bly. I'm almost done with that. Um, uh, start with why. And, and I've already, and so I'm just absorbing as much information as I can in order to, to kick off my own company and, 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 and invest all my money, all my extra monies back into ourselves and, and trusting in ourselves to create the future that we, we want. When, when it comes to that type of um, strategy, what would you say to that? I think it's a great strategy. In fact, um, money really just grow. You can make money two different ways. You know, you can have money work for itself, and as you mentioned earlier, you can enslave your money to work for you, or you can have people work for you. So if you're understanding and learning business, you know that's how you become wealthy. And so as part of being a prosperity coach is teaching people not just how money works because there's only so much money that you have a capacity of making depending on what line of uh, work that you're in. I always encourage people that in this country, if you can have some kind of business that you can actually make, even if it's on the side – of uh, what you're currently doing, you know, if you have a, a second business or you know, they call them side hustles now, and if you can turn that into a full-time business, that's great. But even having that uh, in a changing economy, bettering yourself, as, as Jason always talks about, increasing your uh, human capacity or your human capital is, is, is the way to go. Yeah, and that was that's kind of my that's always kind of been my vision, and I've I've I've. I've meddled in different things here and there and, and, and this, that, and the other, but, uh, as I was getting older, um, and I, we just kind of, we, we, we just put it all on the line here recently. You know, my wife's starting a virtual assistant business and, um, I'm, I'm studying, um, copywriting is what I'm studying because I like writing so much. And so, uh, what I want to do is I want to turn that, that creative, side of me and that, that ability I have to express myself in words. And I want to be able to turn that into, um, to income. Uh, I'm like, I have a talent and I, I've, it's always been something I did. I've always written, um, and, uh, you know, whether it's poetry or short stories or whatever, I've always done it. So I, I was just like, it's something I love to do. Like, why can't I make money doing it? So that was, that's, that's one of the things I'm studying at the moment and, uh, becoming freelancer and doing things like that. Um, is there, is there anything else? We, we've been on for about an hour and I, I usually try to keep it close to an hour, even though I'm not always successful. Um, is there anything else that you think is just a must that people must know? I think you hit the nail on the head when it, when it just comes to, uh, enhancing your personal knowledge. Mm -hmm. One of the things that, uh, you have to be cautious of is who you're taking advice from. You know, there's a lot of TV personalities, radio hosts, and, uh, and authors out there who uh, are, have been successful and teach good principles, but sometimes they uh, they say that I'm not going to name anybody. Obviously, it wouldn't be proper or professional, but sometimes uh, uh, you might get somebody who says that this type of policy is not good for you, and uh, you know, they may not even be licensed properly to understand how it works. And so I think that you have to be cautious who you take advice from. I would always say you should never take advice from people who are less successful than you are, yeah. uh, no matter what uh, field that's in. <laughs> hmm. and, uh, and just educate yourself uh, because we're not learning about it in school, and that's the big tragedy right there. And if you come across somebody who uh, you like their energy, you like their um, 
like what they're saying and they have a proven track record, then uh, I would probably follow them. It's, it, there's never any lack of growing in this world. There's never any lack of information that you can possibly have. And as money changes and, and programs change, you know, stocks change, bonds change, life insurance, all that stuff will change. You know, having a head up and knowing about these things or having somebody that you can trust as an advisor to let you aware of these kind of things is, is just to your benefit. Yeah. Okay, so as we're closing down here, what I want to do is I want to give you an opportunity. Tell people where to find you, um, your your business website, like uh, how, your email, whatever you want to give out. Tell them where to find you and, and and how to contact you, how to get in touch with you, so that they can they can move forward in, in helping themselves. Okay, well, you can find me on most of the social media platforms. I'm on Instagram uh, as MW Corbell. I'm on Facebook as Mike Corbell, LinkedIn, and uh, I'm going to be starting a YouTube channel here shortly. In fact, I just got uh, some new technology to help me start doing that. Nice. So just look for my name, Mike Corbell, and it's uh, mostly on social media. Uh, I've got links to my company website. Uh, I didn't design it myself. It's actually part of the corporation, but uh, uh, wfgconnects.com slash Michael Corbell. That's where you can find my personal website uh, for my work. Uh, yeah, just find me on social media, and uh, I, I welcome all uh, people who want to uh, send me a, an email or send me a connect uh, on social media, and we'll just go from there. That sounds great, Michael. If you'll hold on one second, man, let me just close down the uh, recording, and then we'll uh, we'll I, I got a couple of things I want to talk to you about after after all said and done. You bet. Thanks for listening to the Invictus Mind. If you find value and want to hear more, you can check me out on my YouTube channel. Please also share with your friends, and you can find me in all your favorite podcatchers. Come back next week for another episode. Until then, stay out of trouble, stay productive, and stay free.